This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. the island this is previously on lost episode number 11 whatever the case may be i am mike and i'm looking i don't know this is one of those episodes we'll talk about that later but i'm mike i'm looking forward to discussing more about lost anytime you get to talk about it it's great it's wonderful it's awesome but i cannot do this myself i have with me Corey. how's it going oh i'm doing well Whatever the case may be, you're doing well, right? Uh, yeah, whatever the case whatever may be, the- you know, I'm I'm doing well here. I'm ready ready for some Kate discussion. All right, and Steven, how are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. All right, sweet. And uh, there's no really a network announcements or show announcements. I do know that we, we want you to join in. A new channel was added recently with uh, Mandalorian discussion. So if you have got Disney Plus and you are watching Star Wars Mandalorian, join in on that discussion in our Discord server. We want you to, and uh, we think you'd have a lot of fun. All right. Well, that's all of the uh, preliminaries. So now we're going to go ahead and dig on into whatever the case may be here on previously on Lost. So, Corey, why don't you give us a little bit of summary of this episode? All right, this is episode 12. It aired first on January 5th, 2005. It was directed by the great Jack Bender, and it was written by Damon Lindelof and Jennifer Johnson. Uh, Jake Cat. Jake. Cat. <laughs> wow, wow, I'm getting these names. Uh, I just uh, combined uh, Jake and uh, Kate there. Uh, that could be a couple names. Long uh, weekend, huh? They're, uh, wow. They're <laughs> yeah, what day is it? Uh, Jack. Kate and Sawyer fight over possession of a newly discovered locked metal briefcase, whatever that case is, which may contain insights into Kate's mysterious past. Meanwhile, Saeed asks a reluctant Shannon to translate notes he took from the French woman, Danielle Rousseau, uh, and a rising tide threatens to engulf the fuselage and the entire beach encampment. Uh, and Rose and a grieving Charlie tentatively bond over. Char- over Claire's baffling disappearance. A lot few different stories episode. here. Yeah, a lot went on in this uh, episode. We had about three different story threads going through uh, the entire episode. So, Stephen, what about a little bit about our episode? Tell us a little bit some more, uh, some behind the scenes and uh, some other things that we may have missed. All right. When Kate was in the the bank vault, she asked for the security safety deposit box of eight fifteen. Which, of course, we know is the uh, the number of the, the plane, which we learned a couple episodes ago, Oceanic Flight 815. This episode features the first appearance of the second beach camp, where we're going to spend a lot of time. Uh, when the first camp is being washed away by the tide, Saeed describes the tide is changing too quickly. This is one of the earliest references in the show to time passing differently on the island. The behind-the-scenes reason for the unusual tides, however, is that there, uh, there were 
tides that were about to submerge the fuselage was that the actual seasonal tides on the north shore of Oahu would have eventually flooded the shooting site for real, thereby submerging the fuselage set and causing an ecological disaster. Therefore, they came up with an in-story reason for the survivors to move their camp to a different location. This uh, episode features the first appearance of the waterfall, another sight we'll see many times. By the way, I know that's an in-story reason for having to move the camp, but Saeed does mention later on in the episode that there's something very unusual about the tides, and we know that they're unusual. You just don't find out why they're unusual until quite a while down down the road. But 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 th- but there is a reason why, and we can get into that into the spoiler zone. Yeah, and this is also one of those things where I am not familiar with how tides work, so I think you know most of the audience is like, okay, that that sounds normal, so they have to tell us it's abnormal. Yes, we are we are no Doc Artsons here. Um, we don't know. T- oh, ha- haven't seen him yet. Never mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. All right. <laughs> um, this episode also marked the departure of J.J. Abrams from show running input. Um, he left to work on, start working on Mission Impossible 3, among many other things. Um, this is the highest rated episode of Lost Season 1 on ABC, with a total of 21.59 million viewers. It also marks the only episode to score the highest rating of a season without being the season's premiere. Okay, so I had to stop right there. 21.59 million viewers. Now, here's the thing. That number seems extremely high. For nowadays, for most of the time, most of your viewers are what? Uh, you may get 16, 17 million, depending on what it is. Like like Walking Dead a few years ago, for the season premiere after Negan appeared, uh, the viewership was like 23 million, I think. And I, I don't know if it was that. I mean, if you get was, near ten, well, that's well, great that, that, nowadays. You know, Walking Dead that that's a cable one. But I mean, even the like a Big Bang Theory, just huge. You know, probably the most successful network show. I'm, I don't think was anywhere close to these numbers. Right then. now, now, why do you think that is? I, my personal is because a lot of times now we stream or we watch later online, whereas back then they still were. It's 2005. They're really. You had to make time to be there to watch that episode. You could just record it and come back later. I I had my grandma video record many episodes on her. <laughs> She's the only person I knew who could actually successfully record something on a VCR. I never ever figured that out. But uh, my grandma, anytime I had to miss an episode, she'd record it for me. But I mean, yeah. see, it does. It seems really high, but it was at that time too where they didn't have streaming and they didn't have like the DVR recording ability. And stuff like that. I mean, yeah, these are these are really mind-boggling numbers. I think if you were to look at today, there's no show that has the sort of obsessive, um, you know, poll like Lost Lost did. You know, maybe like Game of Thrones, um, but even that, you know, you have you know, probably close to the same numbers for some of the the last episodes of this this last season. But it was also a season that had only six episodes, where Lost was doing this with twenty episode seasons week after week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many viewers Game Game of Thrones... Right, and Loss was doing, like you said, Loss was doing this week in, week out. They were pulling in big numbers. But I think a lot of it was, and, and again, I think that was part of it, but I also think a lot of it was the fact that 
um, that they didn't have the ability, like I said, to, to stream and stuff like that. And they had to watch it while it was on. But there was no other show like Lost. And it was... It, I mean, alright, so here we go. The the season, the series finale of Game of Thrones had 13.61 million viewers. Wow, that's, that's a lot lower than I expected, actually. Uh, so... And then other than that, most of the seasons were running between 6 and 7 million viewers. Um, at one point during season one, it was it premiered at 2 million viewers. So um, the number act, act, actually grew, but it was still... I think I read that the reason why this one was probably the highest watch episode, because this was the first episode back after the Christmas holiday break, Um so I think, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of people probably word of mouth kind of were just learning about Lost, you know, even past the premiere. And they, they had a nice Christmas break. It was a huge phenomenon. And I think just a lot of people tuned in when it came back. Yeah. And, and also just the nature of, of what happened in the last episode with Claire getting taken and and uh, the fight with Ethan. It just, it built up a lot of, a lot of hype. Okay. So... Um, the okay, I was wrong. It was not twenty three million. The highest viewership for the Negan episode was um seventeen million viewers on Walking Dead. And that and that's also when Walking Dead took its its big uh, you know fall was right. after after Negan. Um, hey, Jeffrey Jean Morgan, great actor, but uh, the show really took a dive after his character was introduced. But. But yeah, but for this time, twenty-one point five million viewers—that's a phenomenal number for a show, especially for non-season premiere. So, go ahead. I'm sorry, Steven. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought it was pretty good talk, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, the only other uh, behind-the-scenes fact here is that um, the underwater scenes when they were diving at the waterfall—they actually were not filmed in Hawaii, but they were filmed in a tank in in L.A. Guess they didn't want real fake dead bodies at the bottom of their their waterfalls in Hawaii. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, oh, I just want one last note here. I think the most interesting part of that whole thing is that this is uh, um, when J.J. Abrams departs from the show because I, I always forget when he leaves because a lot of a lot of the time people think. Or, and, and I did too that he was just there for the pilot and then after the pilot you know he abandons but but so what he makes it 11 12 episodes 12 episodes in before he makes his departure it's, it's just interesting to see and I mean he, he comes wasn't back. the mastermind of the whole thing right he comes back um at times does he I think he does because I know Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof really take take it over but I could have sworn JJ Abrams comes back if not for like um if not for like a whole thing but for um he comes back for for a couple episodes here and there um i'm not 100 percent sure when but let me see um i can see so he does um so it says how he was only a writer for three episodes and a director for two. I mean, he's still part of it. He was still executive producer, creator, that kind of thing. Um, 
but I I, th- I could have sworn he came back more than that. Yeah, I think he just he really sets the the kind of the uh, the framework for the show, and he he built a lot of the long term plans, the others, and right. all sorts of things, and then and at, then at uh, least it was Lindelof. Yeah. So, okay. All right, so let's talk about the story then. Um, some let's look at you know four to eight episode storylines or moments um, in this uh, uh, in this episode. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we get in this episode to me is that we have an island full of people. They're fishing with with you know with rods and pieces of metal from the fuselage, and they you know they're they're they have like one axe floating around to chop up the wood and to do other things and now you have the introduction of guns into the story and anytime you introduce guns into a story somebody's gonna get shot and uh nobody gets shot in this episode um but anytime you introduce something as deadly as a gun into a story now you're adding another element to a group of survivors who already have nothing so you know there's going to be a play for the guns because whoever controls the guns controls the crowd here. I mean, that's just that's just a natural thought. So what do you think about the introduction of guns into the story? Are you surprised it took, you know, this long, you know, 12 episodes before we finally got guns in the story? Well, technically, I mean, we do have the one gun at the in the first episode, right? But it they they shoot all the ammo immediately, so there's no um, on the polar bear. It, yeah, on the polar bear. But but this is really when when there's actual guns, ammo, and and more the more important thing, power be, behind whoever has these guns, you know, authority. And the the thing I was kind of interesting. Is- you're not really thinking about the impact of the guns because you're so focused on the the mystery of what's in the in the case for Kate. They really kind of set the guns aside, and you don't really think about how important those are until you know they are going to come back into play later. It, it makes you, but the way they wrote it, they made you think that Kate she really just wanted the case just because of the guns. Like you, 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 you don't realize what she's wanting until she until she pulls out that little plane, and and you're like, yeah. so you did this whole fighting and whole arguing just for a little plane, and and but because you you think she's she's chasing for the guns because of her past, because they they set her up as this, you know, as this guy as this guy who's you know grabbed her for murder, the marshal, trying to escort her back to the states for trial. And she's she, she's wanting guns. So at this at this time when you see it, you kind of think, is she playing everybody still? Yeah, I think it's an interesting setup because, of course, Kate is mysterious in everything that she does. But when you look at this, um, you know, from a broader view, you've got like the three main characters kind of fighting over this case of guns. Um, arguably, the three of the main characters with with Kate, uh, Jack, and Sawyer. And they don't even really know what they're, uh, you know, fighting over at first. At least Sawyer and Kate don't really um, act like they know. And then, you know, once we get to the end, ultimately it's Jack who kind of steps in and makes kind of the power play and says, nope, I'm in charge. These are mine. Which is, it's kind of interesting watching this now and seeing how, you know, easily he does that and just kind of inserts his authority over everyone and, and Sawyer and 
Kate basically accept it. Well, what do you think about him blackmailing Sawyer though for the case? Because I, I mean, do you, do you? He pretty much said, "If you don't give me the case, I'm gonna let your arm get gangrene and fall off." I mean, it's, I mean, that's generally what he was telling Sawyer. You know, this is actually, I think this is one of the episodes where Jack is really clear-headed and he makes the right calls all the way, all throughout. Um, and, and it's interesting because the previous episode is when he's kind of losing it and he's overcome with guilt chasing, chasing down uh, Claire and Charlie and Ethan. And this episode, I mean, he's so cool and calm. He actually thinks that Locke is is more trustworthy all of a sudden. He's kind of defending Locke, giving him the benefit of the doubt, and uh, he's able to call the bluff of of uh, Kate in a way, or, or at least call her out. And yeah, I think this is this is a good episode for Jack. Yeah, I think I think uh, Sawyer had the right read on Jack when he said, you know, even if that was true, you don't have the stones to do it. Um, I think Sawyer was right. He probably didn't, but he did bluff bluff his way through it, and I think he got Sawyer to to give him what he wanted. Um, so he got Sawyer to to believe he was wrong, even though I think Sawyer was probably right. Well, the, yeah, I think Sawyer's right. Like Jack is kind of bluffing him, but at the same time, I don't think Jack would have let Sawyer keep those keep that case, even if even if he wasn't really being honest about the method he would have found another way because because jack some way to grab those guns from you know he doesn't trust sawyer he doesn't really trust kate completely no and and he doesn't and speaking of kate you know that's that's why after she after she 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 grabbed the plane and you know jack could have just left it there you know and let let it go but as she's walking away he 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 looks at her and says that that's what you wanted for was just just for the plane, what, you know what what does it matter to you in a way what does it matter and he's pressuring her and pushing her and pushing her until finally she just screams you know it belonged to the man I love and he just said stop lying to me, and she said it belongs to the man I I I murdered or I killed, and we finally got some truth out of Kate to a point, but I don't think that that's what Jack was expecting. No, I don't think that's what he was expecting, but I also kind of thought it was a weird thing for Jack to say, considering the moment from the last episode where, you know, he asked her to give it, to give him something real, and she told the story about how she learned to track. So, if assuming he believed that story of hers, it's kind of a weird thing to say, you know, tell me something real for once, when we literally just went through that, you know, line of thinking last episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anything else from you guys? Any, any other episode moments that kind of um, stuck out to you? I think there's about three. See, there's one, uh, two. There's kind of three main storylines going on in this episode that are kind of running parallel with one another. Yeah. Well, I'll say this about this episode. There's parts of this episode that I really love um, that are super memorable. And then there's parts of it that are not so great. I think especially the first half is really interesting. And the first half, I think, is, is a little polarizing for, for Lost fans. Like the whole running around, um, you know, trying to open the case, and then Kate stealing it. Like I've heard someone compare it to Looney Tunes or something, which 
you know, I don't think it's fair. I, I think it's fun. There's a little bit of, we have some physical comedy and it's a little more lighthearted and I, the visuals are beautiful. They have, they pick out some great, you know, scenery to, to showcase this little Kate and Sawyer uh, feud. And I think it's really fun. Start of an episode. And then the second half, you have some great moments with Jack and Kate opening the case. And then I think the story you know, doesn't really resolve itself completely. It's just so mysterious with Kate. Um, you know, she just doesn't really say a lot in this episode. And, and so it, it kind of like goes downhill by the end. No, she doesn't say a lot. She just stares a lot. Yeah. It, <laughs> there's some awkward moments where, where it feels like, you know, Evangeline Lilly must have been like, line, line, like, what, what am I supposed to say here? And like when she takes the case and she just looks up at Sawyer and just like <laughs> smiles and then runs off. Yeah. And then they, they, they exchange a few odd, you know, glances and, and stares where it feels like there should be some dialogue and it's just, nope, it's just a look. Just, and, and they, that's the hard thing about Kate. Yeah. Uh, and I, I basically, you know, put down as, as one of my story threads here is Kate and herself. This whole episode is like an internal battle of Kate and accepting her past and being able to deal with her baggage. Of apparently, I mean, we're told she killed some guy, and that's what this is all about. That's, but that's all the information we get. Right. So I think it's interesting, but I also think the hard part about this episode is Kate never talks to anybody about it, even her, in her flashback. Usually, in characters' flashbacks, that's when you get to see the real character, and they're they're talking to some other person, and it reveals a little bit about themselves. But Kate is even you know, more mysterious in her flashbacks. So we don't, we don't get a lot revealed about herself. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we, we see, we see, obviously we see Kate being very mysterious. She still hasn't, you know, we still don't, we still don't know everything about her. And I think, I think loss is very good at when you get flashbacks of characters, you're getting like small details here and there. You're, you're, you're getting breadcrumbs to the big payoff later on to come. This this episode, these flashbacks kind of they really didn't do anything for me. I didn't I didn't I feel like the flashbacks could have almost were almost wasted because I understand she was trying to get the plane from the drop box from from the safety box, which is which is fine. But I feel like that was a useless story to get a plane. Like, like it, it, it just, it felt like they spent a lot of time, you know, with the bank scene when there could have been an easier way that, 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 that she could have gotten it. To be honest, she could have it, but it just, it felt like it was a lot of waste of time to me. Um, so that's one thing that kind of drew me out of the story a little bit. I was kind of wishing to go back. Let me get some more Island story because the flashbacks really not doing it for me right now. Yeah, I'd say that I don't think we really learned a lot new about Kate in this flashback. Um, you know, you it kind of repeated something we've seen before, which was her saying, I, I don't know how to use a gun when she clearly does. That We've already seen that before with the, the pilot, part one or two. And, um, I think it was kind of a bit of a fake-out almost by the writers that, you know, we know... Kate's a fugitive. Um, we don't know why, and I, I think you're kind of supposed to be thinking the whole time that 
this is, you know, what leads her to being a fugitive, and it's really not. Um, so I, I kind of think that it's kind of stringing the audience along a little bit. That's what, I agree. I think the weakest part of this was probably the flashback. Not that it you know, wasn't a good story, but as far as overall story purpose, I don't know that it was the best flashback. Yeah, I, I agree somewhat, but I'm, I'm going to defend the flashback a little bit because uh, even though this flashback, it doesn't add a ton to the Kate story, I, I do think it's a pretty efficient flashback. Like As far as flashbacks are concerned, we only I feel like we cut back to this flashback like four or five times, and it's not nearly as, as long as some of the other episodes where we have tons of scenes and they're really long scenes. They're all really short, and so we do get more island stuff. Like really, it's it's kind of just an action sequence, and uh, we get this set piece at the bank and the robbery. Um, I, I think the whole thing is it it gives you just a few little beats of her character, and it really just shows off Kate as being a cool character. Is what they're trying to do is give her some action in a way. Um, there's a few moments I like. I like when uh, she flips the switch from being like the the victim to suddenly she's like talking differently and she's acting completely differently. And she, the line she says, I think she says, my name's not Maggie. And then she, you know, takes the gun and then she shoots all the robbers. And like, that's a cool moment. There is a lot of buildup that seems unnecessary in that, in that episode. And I do think you're right that it, a lot of that flashback is kind of a misdirection to build up the hype of like, why was Kate in handcuffs? Which, which a lot of Kate's flashbacks do that for, for quite a while. But there were a few key moments. Overall, I found myself going, oh, I'm glad that there was uh, not more flashback to that one because the, the, the island story is definitely superior. And, 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 I, and I think you're right. I think they, they, they tried to put too much into a flashback that didn't need as much. I think they kind of over-simplified over the story rather than just let the flashbacks go. You know, I don't think they need as much as they did. I did like it when she did, like you said, flip the switch. And she goes from from playing the victim to the um, to the one in charge on top now. But it does show uh, so the, what the flashbacks do show in this episode is it does show the manipulation that that Kate has over people and how well she plays it. And you see that being used on the island as well. Yeah, I I think I wish there would have been maybe some some better story moments for her if she had someone. Uh, that she trusted that she could actually you know talk to that's the frustrating thing about kate is she doesn't trust anybody so you don't get a lot of genuine moments where she's confiding and actually talking about her feelings because you know at the end they drop this whole information about oh she killed somebody well i think it would have been better if if she talked about that you know at some point in the flashback and we we saw some emotion about it and heard more about it then it would make the payoff in the end more interesting instead we're just looking at her playing with this this toy plane in front of the fire at the end and we're like what the heck is that about <laughs> it's just right it's not really that satisfying of, of an ending all right so uh anything else from you guys any other episode moments i mean i have a few more but oh yeah for sure um I mean, we did a lot of Kate stuff, but I think some of the more interesting stuff here was the the non-Kate involved stories. Yeah. Um, first one being um, the Charlie and uh, Rose uh, scenes. Um, pretty much any time Rose is on screen, 
Everybody it's good. hush. She's talking. <laughs> kind, kind of a scene. Let's, exactly. Let's, exactly. Let, let's, let, let's hear these pearls of wisdom from Rose. I mean, that, that's generally what you get and, from her. And and you got some some great kind of comedic moments from Charlie at first, who hasn't been talking, and then you know she kind of calls him out, and he's like, "Seriously?" And you know, then she gets she kind of gets him to open up, and um, and man, the the kind of the scene at the end around the campfire was just you know really powerful and when she told him that you know nobody blames you you know there's just really some great um just emotional moments between her and charlie um really enjoyed that story also kind of mirrored um earlier in the season when she wasn't talking and you know jack was kind of trying to get her out of her funk or whatever you'd call it she's kind of you know paying the favor back and doing the same for charlie yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that. That's actually a good a good point. It ties it in well, it's, you know, as far as when somebody helps you out of a bad, a tough situation in your life, then, you know, you're equipped to help someone else out later, and that, that's pretty cool. I, I still get chills at the moment when when Charlie, like, breaks down and starts, starts crying, and, right. and he, like, finally starts to just let it go a little bit, and you can tell, you know, all this emotion that he has. And I think this episode does a good job of of taking the tone and making it lighthearted a little bit with Kate and Sawyer playing around, but it also doesn't drop the story of, of Claire being missing. It takes that seriously with, with that storyline with Charlie and Rose. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anybody other than Rose that could, that could have helped Charlie. Like Saeed, he was too busy worrying about the maps. Shannon was useless. <laughs> Quote unquote. We'll get into that later. Um, let's see. Boone, Boone was busy off playing, you know, Davy Crockett with Locke. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> maybe, maybe Hurley. Maybe her. I could see Hurley could have helped him out a little bit. Hurley but. was having some bowel issues. <laughs> um, okay. I want to see the Ian Salma handle, uh, or however you say that, uh, you know, show about Davy Crockett. Yes. yes. <laughs> I need to get that on network TV. Absolutely. <laughs> And then let's see, you know, Jack was too busy worried with Kate about the about the case. Um, Jen was too busy doing something else. We'll find out when we discuss the next episode. Um, Sawyer would have just laughed at him. I, I mean, there's really there's really nobody else out there that could have helped Charlie, but Rose dealing with grief and guilt. Because remember, Rose was dealing with guilt too because her thought was. She knows Bernard's alive, but if she only hadn't sent him, or if he only hadn't gone to the bathroom when he went, then she would, then, then then he would be with her right now, and and she had to deal with that grief and that guilt too, and she still and she still has faith that you know that Bernard is or or whoever her husband is is alive or Bernard. Well, she, that's right. Sherry Sherry said his name, um, but 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 that he he's alive and. I think she was the only one who could have helped Charlie. There, she's, she's the only one. Yeah. yeah, the more you talk about it, their stories really do kind of parallel. They both have someone out there that, you know, they believe or hope or, you know, her her line was great. You know, it's a thin line between, um, you know, faith and denial, and it's a lot better on my side. I mean, they're, they're both really going through kind of some of the similar, you know, situations. And yeah, really and I, think of that. yeah, I think Jack at the beginning of the episode, he tries to talk with Charlie a little bit and it doesn't, 
go over very well. And, and Jack is notoriously bad at his uh, uh, bedside manner. And, and yeah, Rose is really uh, the, the best person here to help help Charlie. Because really, I mean, Charlie can only argue and fight back so much because, you know, she's going through something that is arguably worse um, in a way. Well, well, also, you know, when Jack tries to talk to people and help people out, he does it from a logical standpoint. He tries to use science and logic, but that's not what Charlie really needed right there. Charlie needed somebody with faith at that moment and hope and somebody who could be who could be an encouragement. And Jack just was not – he was going to try to answer it. And then we go to the whole issue of faith and science and fate and free will in this whole show is that, you know, he, he needed somebody at the moment that was not going to just sit there and just lay out all the – you know, logic to it. He needed somebody who was going to listen and just tell him, you know, it's not your fault. You have to let it go. And Rose, Rose was the perfect one for that. So I liked Rose helping out Charlie for sure. Another side story that I really liked is the Shannon and Saeed story that we have in this episode. It's very simple, but it it's actually a pretty complete story, you know, with a good beginning, middle, and end. Uh, you know, Shannon feels useless she's called useless by her brother boone which is harsh by the way oh yeah they just have such a toxic uh you know relationship and they're always putting each other down and then so she's recruited by saeed and then halfway through the episode saeed you know gets fed up with her and says it's a mistake and turns her away you know so so it, it kind of turns into a failure and then in the end shannon comes back with a a great reveal of this song that she heard on a kid's cartoon. And uh, it turns out she, she was actually translating correctly the whole time. It's just Saeed didn't understand it. And it's uh, song lyrics. And it's just funny. Crazy Rousseau is just writing down lyrics. And uh, then she gives this nice little song. Turns out Shannon can sing. And it, so you're talking about Shannon and Saeed. This is like kind of you see the beginning of their friendship here where they start to really kind of blossom here together, which is, if when you look at it, it's such a very awkward friendship. Like these are two people who, apart from the plane crash, never would have talked to one another, never would have even acknowledged each other's exist- existence. You have you have a former Iraqi uh, you know, guard and a, you know, and honestly a spoiled rich girl. They never would have talked to one another, but yet their their friendship is 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 there. Um, even even if Boone is staring creepily at them at the end of the episode from from the tree line. <laughs> and remember, he has an axe somewhere out there. <laughs> right, right. But you know, speaking of Shannon being useless, you know, Boone kind of tells her that it's almost as if I'm I, I'm going to put this in this way and be nice about it. It's almost as if that's what the audience had been thinking the whole time. Okay, you have this character named Shannon, and all we see her do is is try to catch a tan and read a book. And, and we never see her do anything. She's just sitting around just being, you know, useless. And we're having Boone interact with her every now and then. You've got, you know, you've got Boone off doing this, on, you know, off in this adventure in the wilderness with Locke. And then you have Shannon who's just laying on a towel trying to get some rays. So it's almost that like the audience was thinking that, and then and then the writer's like, "We need to do something with Shannon. Let's do something with her. Let's put her in this awkward friendship with the guy that she would never have a friendship with, Saeed, and let's see how it goes from there." So let me ask you guys this: um, you know, not considering the future episodes, just as if we've only seen this episode at this point, do you guys ship Saeed and Shannon 
Do you see some potential there? Heck no. See, I, I do. I, I, I definitely do. I don't, I, I don't, if I was looking at it on the outside in without knowing what happens in the future, I feel like they forced it and they tried too hard with it. Because again, these are two people who, who, who don't have really anything in common at all. And yet they are, they are somehow forming this friendship on the island. Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, that they, they really don't have a whole, whole lot in common. But I do think they have this in common and that they both kind of hate their previous life and they want to escape. And, you know, they can kind of look at each other and they don't look at each other like this, you know, immediately. And it's like, hey, this person wants to start something new. We're, we're here on this island. Let's leave the past behind. And there is kind of a genuine human connection between them. And... It is a bizarre, um, you know, beginning to, uh, you know, this this relationship between them. But I, I do, I do think there it, it plays a lot better than I remember it playing. Yeah, it was easier to swallow this time. I, I, I'll put it like that. Just knowing knowing what happens in the future. I to me to me I think it works just because of the quality of the actors. Yeah, I mean I think these two. Just really, you know, kind of sell the their interactions seem genuine. Um, you can you you definitely can kind of sense the attraction, you know, as you know, Shannon sits up uh, from her sunbathing. You can kind of tell she's being a little flirtatious with Saeed there, and uh, you know, Saeed's got a little bit of game himself. And uh, to me, it it, it kind of works. I don't know. I I enjoyed this relationship. And obviously, you know, I, yeah, I mean, all right, I mean, I, I, I can give you all that, but I just, you know, anyways, well, anything else, any other episode moments? Random moment. I really like when Sawyer is trying to pick the lock on the case <laughs> and, and Michael's walking by yep. and it's like they're in high school and this is like an inside joke, you know, or something with, and Hurley's coming behind and he's like, you're trying to pick a lock on a Halliburton? Hey, he's trying to pick a lock, and they both they both just start cracking up. Ah, why would you do that? And Michael uh, says, "Was well, it Mike?" Michael says, "Man, if you could crack that, I will fly you out of here on my back. I'll fly off this island." Yeah. And then Hurley just comes out of nowhere, and he just said, "He said, what's going on?" Sawyer's, Sawyer's trying to crack a Halliburton. He said, dude! <laughs> I'm like, how does Hurley know about a Hall- you, you don't expect something like Hurley to know about a Halliburton case at all. It, this is really my only uh, source for information on Halliburton cases is this episode. <laughs> yes. well, I, I gotta say, though, that Lost, it, they, they don't do things on accident, I don't feel like. Uh, be it the characters' names or products... So I uh, went down a little rabbit hole of uh, Halliburton. Um, found out that uh, Richard Halliburton um, was uh, an American traveler and adventurer, um, presumed dead in 1939 um, in a uh, fatal adventure attempting to sail um, to sail across the Pacific Ocean from Hong Kong to the Golden Gate in uh, San Francisco also known for swimming the Panama Canal. Um, Lost, I think, kind of likes to just put in little extra stuff like that to kind of make you go, 
think about things and go learn some more about, uh, you know, people who were lost at sea or philosophers, all, all sorts of different things they do there. Yeah, that, that's good. I, I've never heard that before. I mean, that's of course, there's obvious ones like John Locke, but I have never uh, dove into uh, Halliburton. Uh, you know, most of the books that show up on the show, you can, you know, at least thematically can kind of kind of relate to, to Lost. And even the uh, the case that gets thrown off a cliff uh, even has some meaning to it. Hmm. Well, well, yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah, one last thing I wanted to note is is we obviously have the continued uh, kind of tension, romantic tension between Sawyer and Kate because the, the the whole first 20 minutes of this episode, they're like flirting back and forth and he's like tickling her and, you know, they're wrestling around and, you know, it's like the, the, neither of them are really fighting it too much. So there's obviously some attraction there. And then the second half of the episode, you have um, it reminds us of the 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 friendship between Jack and Kate, like the friendship that we saw in the first probably five episodes of the show. So it's interesting the the two relationships kind of uh, pinned, you know, back and forth. Obviously, a love triangle as as yeah. uh, TV le- likes to do. So uh, that that's interesting to see. It's done in a at least a pretty entertaining way in this episode. And be and, and and be prepared if you've never seen the show because that that love triangle will be there for quite a while. So that's that's really the only reason I kept watching is that love triangle. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> you want to see who, yeah. who's going to punch who next <laughs> or headbutt. So, but um, it, overall, just one last uh, note is I just want to say I love the scene where they dig up. The, oh, the the suitcase the that's got to be the best scene. They dig up the Marshall and they pull out the wallet and it's got the, the grip. <laughs> <laughs> they're about to lose all their coconuts they've been eating. Oh, and it's it's pretty cool that you just have that moment where Jack, you know, says, you know, I I had to bury him for me. You know, I had to bury bury this because they burned everyone else. And it's a little bit of an you know exposition ex- explanation of why they didn't burn this body, but. Jack needed to go and bury him because, you know, Jack strangled him to death. Uh, well, put him out I, of his misery. I think it's kind was of... it, what was, well, I didn't take it like that. I, I, I'm sorry, Stephen. I, I didn't, but I didn't take it like that. I take it like he had to bury him because, because when he opened the case at where his father was, his father wasn't there. And to finally put it into what was ever was bothering with his father and the issues he had there, he needed to bury this guy to deal with that. That's how I saw that. Oh yeah, that makes sense actually. So, I'm sorry, Steve. What were you going to say? I, I cut you off earlier. No, I was just thinking that uh, I thought I, it felt kind of weird to me. Jack, you know, I know Jack kind of formed. I felt like formed a connection with this guy for trying to save his life when they, you know, for the first couple days there on the island. But I just thought it was really interesting that Jack had this deep emotional connection to this marshal who was out. Obviously, such a huge emotional um, part of Kate's life. Um, find it weird that they both kind of formed an attachment to this guy for very different reasons, um, and it kind of, you know, kind of bringing them both together here to to, to dig him up and uh, do some grave robbing. It was just kind of a weird scene. I don't know. Oh yeah. 
it's definitely it's definitely strange but it's also very tense it's it's got to be the most uh serious tense moment of the episode i think you know an, an episode that has a lot of uh, you know, lighthearted stuff well I, I will say when she threw the wallet with maggots you i could even tell that that was such a fake throw like it was just like 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 like, like you could tell she was not genuinely scared of the maggots on the wallet either and I love Jack. And I love Jack's response was, "You okay? Yeah, yeah. You know that was really good sleight of hand. <laughs> Get me to focus on the wallet." Yeah, it's it. It's interesting. This her little play there um, actually mirrors what happens in the flashback where she, you know, she's faking uh, um, being the kind of innocent victim and not knowing how to use a gun in front of the the bank manager, and then she you know, obviously reveals that she's part of the whole plan. And then it's interesting, there's a little bit of a, a parallel between they're looking, they need the key to get to the the safe deposit box in the flashback, and obviously they need the key to get into the case in the, on the island. So it, it ties in in, in an interesting way. You know, it's, but overall, I think the flashback leaves, you know, a lot to be desired. Yeah. Okay. All right, well... Steven, give me 15, 16 seconds on uh, your overall thoughts of this episode. Um, this, this episode was kind of a kind of a change of pace. They came back from the uh, holiday break, you know, with the tension of the last episode. Kind of slowed it down a little bit, brought in a little bit of lighthearted fun with the waterfall. Um, really enjoyable on-island stuff. Um, yeah, flashback wasn't wasn't my favorite, but it, it had its moments too, but I, I really feel like the uh, the Charlie and Rose stuff really kind of raised my opinion of this episode. And what you got, Corey? Yeah, I, I'd say this was a fun episode that does a good job of of giving us a variety of, of characters and has a fun way of, of tying um, Sawyer Kate and, and Jack into uh, a little bit of a competition to get to this case and does a good job of setting up um, you know a loaded gun for future episodes uh, I see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was an okay episode it's definitely not not one of my favorites um, I appreciate the way they introduced some things and the way they're starting to lay some groundwork for others um, I almost feel like this episode is a building block for the next episode that we're going to get. I, I, I feel like it's almost like you have to get this stepping stone to get to the story you want to tell. We want to start telling in the next episode. Um, but it, it, was an, it was an okay episode. Um, a lot, again, this is one of those episodes that a lot of Lost fans will either love it or hate it. And it's just one of those polarizing episodes. And then you have those couple of people who are like, meh, it's okay. We're kind of right down there in the middle with it. But a majority of fans either all out hate it or all out love it. Um, so, all right, so our rating system. Uh, I had one in here, but Corey came out with a pretty good one here. Uh, so we're going to rate this at a 23. One out of 23, Kate Stairs. So since you created our our wonderful rating system, Corey, why don't you go first? How many Kate stairs do you give this one? All right, I'm going to go with 18 out of 23 Kate stairs. And I think if you watch this episode, 
there's probably more than 18 times where she just stares at something or someone and says nothing and we're left wondering what the heck is Kate thinking yeah she does stare off a lot in this one how many times does she stare for you there Steven <laughs> I, I gave this one a 19 out of 23 Kate stares um Again, more for the on-island and the off-island stuff. Um, just thought it was a pretty good episode. And I'm going to give it the lowest score I've given an episode yet, and that's 14 out of 23 Kate Stairs. Um, it was it was a good. It was an average episode to me. It didn't, like, blow me out of the water. I was happy with some of the stuff we got, um, but it didn't just blow me out of the water kind of episode. Um, but it wasn't terrible. We, we've got some episodes that we'll watch in the show that are absolutely, will probably be, be down near the three or four mark. <laughs> Just, there are some of those episodes that we have in the show. Uh, oh, yeah. Expose. Anyways, <laughs> we, we, as we end, we're going to head into Sawyer's name dictionary here. So he refers to Michael one time as daddy, uh, to Danielle as the French woman. We have another Freckle count, finally. We're up to one time where Sawyer calls Kate Freckle for a grand total so far of five times. Um, and then does, what are you, some kind of navel-gazing, no-fun, mopey type? Kind of the nickname. <laughs> I think so. Actually, I love that line, so I'm glad it was included somewhere in here. Yeah, he, he didn't That's really funny. call her that. It was more of a question, but uh, right. it was a good one. That was and that's good. right before they they take a swim, um, which sets up you know one of the many times where a guy decides to go swimming in his jeans. I don't quite understand it, but uh, when she goes swimming in just her shirt and her undergarments. Yeah, I guess they don't. I mean, I get it. They don't want to go in just their underwear, you know. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the whole thing. The rashes and all, boys. <laughs> You know, I think there's a commercial uh, where um, Josh Holloway like dives into the ocean wearing jeans, and he like swims, and it's for like cologne or something. (laughs) Like back in 2010 or something. (laughs) Oh, there he is, swimming in jeans again. That that that's pretty funny. And then the people, you know, of course you have the two people in the bottom of the lake. Which, oh, by the way, we also find out in this episode that they've been on the island for three weeks. So that's something important to remember. They've they've been they've been gone now for twenty one days. So, uh, so some pop culture connections. Uh, really, it's just the ones when we're talking about the the maps. Uh, Le Maire, which is Rousseau's notations, contain lyrics from this popular romantic ballad by Charles Trinet or Trinet, the first recorded in the nineteen forties. So we were talking about the notation in the lyrics earlier from, um, or the notations that Rousseau made that Shannon's trying to translate and she can't really place it, but Shannon recognizes it from being lyrics from the ending theme to the computer animated fish movie that Felipe's son Laurent replayed over and over again, and that movie was none other than the lyrics to Finding Nemo. I actually did not know that. Nice. Yes. Because if I remember correctly, Finding Nemo came out in 2003. So this was only two years after um, Mm -hmm. Finding Nemo came out. So it was still pretty popular at the time. Yeah, that was insanely popular. 
But that's all for this episode, unless y'all have anything to add. That's it for me. All right. I think we covered it pretty well. I agree. So so all hearts and minds are clear? Good, because that's the title of our next episode. We're going to talk about hearts and minds. Um, this is a very um, not easy for the stomach, very unusual episode. We're going to be dealing with some unusual relationships between quite a few people and some more mysteries will be revealed here as we talk about a Boone and Shannon-centric episode in Hearts and Minds. So for all those who want to follow us before we get into our spoiler zone, uh, we're going to tell you to follow us on RetroZap, follow us on Lost Rewatch Pod on Twitter, at Previously on Lost Podcast on Instagram, Facebook.com slash Previously on Lost. You can find me at the DC Fanboy. That's at the DC underscore Fanboy. Steve, where can they find you, man? On Twitter at Lucky13Steve. That's right, and you can also find Corey where? You can find me on Twitter at OriginalMav. All right, and you can find everything about us here on the RetroZap Discord, so make sure you go to RetroZap.com for more details on how to join our Discord server. Until then, that is it for this episode, but we are going to go ahead and head into our spoiler zone, so if you want to bolt out now, you are more than welcome to as we enter into the spoiler zone. All right, where do you guys want to start first in this? Well, there was quite a few, quite a few things. I think um, one was kind of a simple thing that I thought was interesting. Um, you know, when Jack says to Saeed, uh, you know, Saeed saying some things are better left untranslated, and Jack says, "Why don't you go tell him that?" Kind of uh, pointing to Charlie. Um, kind of just reminded me of another scene later on in the show after. Uh, um, Saeed interrogates um, Henry Gale in season two, or who may or may not be Henry Gale, um, after, you know, just beats beats him to a pulp. And then uh, after that, he sits down with Charlie and he tells him um, that, you know, people have forgotten what, that the others hung you up and left you to die, but, but I haven't forgotten. And then he said that's why he felt no remorse for what he did. That's what... It's just how he knew that that Ben was one of the one of the others. So I I just really felt like uh, that kind of stayed with Saeed, um, you know. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. That's that's interesting to think about. Uh, the the first thing I think when I watch this episode is is the entire Kate backstory and how it's stretched out over several seasons. And it's one of those that, in the end, it's okay, but it doesn't really deliver. Like, once you get to the end, you, you see, like, what Kate did in season two, where you learn that she killed her father, and, you know, she was on the run, and she went on this bank robbery, and she was married to the, you know, Nathan Fillion, uh, all this stuff. Uh, and it just, and at the end, it doesn't really add up. And you, if you think about another story to compare it to, think about Sawyer and his search for, you know, Sawyer and think about Locke and how Locke got paralyzed and how those stories tie up eventually you're like wow that was extremely satisfying and that was you know awesome and then you compare it to Kate like her story they build it up so much in this first season and then it just kind of flattens out and this is like a prime episode where there's so much build up like what is this plane 
and then it never really it never really delivers you know like all these shots of kate like staring off it's just i don't know it it doesn't really end up you know following through for me yeah it it it, it yeah i mean I, I really don't know what else to to to, to say about that though i i, I think it, i do agree with you on that Corey. as far as the uh the overall backstory of Kate, but I will say of all of her backstories, I think probably my favorite one was the one where we kind of find out the the real story behind this plane. I thought to me the most impactful Kate flashback was the one with her childhood friend. Um, that yeah, I mean, I I thought the actual the payoff of this plane, I I felt was pretty good down the line. It just it took a while for that to happen. Yeah, and I'm not saying like I'm I'm a total Kate hater. Like a lot of people, I think she's a really good character. I I just think sometimes there's too much build up, and then it they they made it hard to to pay it off in the end. But I I think there's a lot of really entertaining Kate episodes. This would be one, or I like this episode. But a lot of people, if they don't like Kate, they point to this episode as like, oh, remember that episode, the plane. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that's where a lot of people start really driving negative onto Kate, and 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 I do like Kate. This is not one of my favorite episodes, but I do I I did I did like I I mean I do like Kate in the show. Obviously, I have my other favorites um, that I really like on the show, but yeah, a lot of people do point to this episode um, for Kate. Uh, one of the things that that we talk about too is the unusual tides. So it's mentioned. And it's not really mentioned again to a point, but once you find out that the island starts moving, that it constantly moves, you understand why there's unusual tides. Because um, there may be one type of tide on one side of the world and another type on another, and it may be high in one place and low in another. So if the island's continuously moving in the different oceans and stuff like that, it's obviously the tides are going to be different. But they just can't pinpoint why the island's moving yet yeah i i think that's a great little um you know easter egg that 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 was fun to see like oh yeah it made me think of daniel faraday (laughs) daniel faraday (laughs) daniel faraday oh boy so let's talk about this saeed and shannon relationship then because this is this seems to be a pretty big and i don't know who wrote it here but it seems to be a pretty big controversy and it really is as to this whole relationship between Said and Shannon. So who, 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 who put this one down? Because I want to get your thoughts on well, it. I, I put this one down. Um, and that, yeah, it's one I've certainly, you know, following all the, the lost uh, conversation since the finale aired. That was, you know, always something that people that I felt like I kind of, kind of disagreed with maybe the majority. And, you know, a lot of people felt like Nadia should have been with him in the church, but, uh, I, I feel like Shannon being there really, you know, gave validity to this Shannon and Saeed relationship on the island. Um, to me, it was, you know, Nadia was his past, and he, obviously he, he loved her um, and kind of led him to the island. But we see in the Flash Sideways in Season 6 that he that they've created for themselves Saeed has chosen not to be with Nadia you know he feels like yeah I believe he's with his brother or his friend 
um, in the flash sideways. So he doesn't feel like that's who he's supposed to be with. Um, and I, I feel like just Shannon being there in the end really kind of I, I felt like it was a good relationship. They, they really developed naturally on the island. Um, two people who probably wouldn't have come together otherwise. I feel like built a, a genuine you know, relationship for each other and I feel like having her there at the church at the end kind of validated that. Yeah, a lot of people do don't a lot of people don't like it because they feel like it was cut short between Said and Shannon when Ana Lucia came out of the woods and shot her. Um, there, there's actually a couple rumors why that that happened from behind the scenes. One of them is that Maggie Grace, the person who plays Shannon, could not get along, had some issues with the producers backstage and the writers, and she wanted off the show. Um, so that was that was one of the reasons. The other reason was that you know Ana Lucia, who would eventually come into controversy herself, which is why they say they killed her off because she ended up getting arrested for a DUI um, after her character was introduced. Um, but a lot of people believe that they wanted to try to get Ana Lucia on, and the only way they knew they could really introduce her as this bad character was to kill somebody that people were starting to get attached to like Shannon um, but I don't we, 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 we don't know it's just a hearsay but that's what a lot of people believe is the reason why because she had difficulties working with the producers um, and that kind of thing so they ended up having to write her out of the script hmm. actually ha- hadn't heard that yeah I, I yeah I just think it's a shame because they build up this character throughout the whole first season and at times she's, she's uh, you know hard to root for and she really starts to become um, a lot, you know, a really good character and really likable. And it's, it's like so much easier to connect with her um, early in season two. And she has her own episode, which is a good episode. And then she gets killed at the end of the episode. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, I guess she's done. Um, and when I think about this, the Saeed Shannon uh, debate, I actually would point to for myself that beginning of season two. That's when I really start to buy this relationship. And it really does seem like two people who want to completely forget their past. Um, and, you know, they have all this drama with their family and, and what they were expected to do in their lives. And they just have this, this great human connection. And, you know, if it were up to them, they would move to, you know, probably some random country and start a new life together. Uh, and I really did buy it there in those few episodes. The problem, though, is then Shannon dies. And, you know, after season two, you forget about her. And, you know, three years later, they bring, um, her back. You, they bring her back. And throughout that whole time, you, you continue to get little bits of Nadia throughout and we never hear anything from Shannon. So it just it kind of comes out of left field. So I get both sides of it. Overall, I'm totally fine with her being in the church. Like, makes sense to me. But I get why people were were not cool with it. Yeah. Now, I see a lot of Maggie Grace now on a on uh she plays al on fear the walking dead in the summer so yeah talk so about a different different a whole, role <laughs> a compl- heck yeah it's completely different than she was done playing on lost um the the by the way did you know that at one point during the film i think like around 2005 uh her and ian summerholder actually started dating 
off screen. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I do remember hearing that. Which, which is going to kind of come into really interesting when we do finally discuss our next episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. But, but anyways, uh, anything else uh, spoilery about this episode? Just another little kind of little scene. Um, when Kate was on the floor of the bank and they kind of showed her reflection on the ground, um, I think it was a good scene in the episode as, as it was, you know, kind of just her reflection. Um, I guess kind of a symbolic thing, but they did a lot of that in season six. Um, you know, that was kind of like one of the hallmark of the Flash Sideways was every episode the characters kind of their, saw their saw their reflection. Um, and I thought that was kind of a, an early glimpse into something they would use a lot in season six. All right. Yeah, I like that. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, then we are we are going to go ahead and close out um, our episode for this evening. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, we look forward to seeing you back here soon. And um, until next time, uh, don't get lost. Mm-hmm.